Welcome to the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast, where it is all about enhancing your daily work so that you will be able to create embedded systems you can be proud of. I'm Georg Lure and I will be your host during this episode. In this episode, we will discuss why it is that complicated to become an outstanding engineer within embedded systems. I will show you five essentials which will assist you on your way to improve your job as an engineer. Keen on getting closer? Stay tuned and be inspired. Why you never become a famous embedded engineer and five smart principles bringing you back on track. Yes, I know, this is a provocative subject and a quite declarative heading here. Um, I directly want to jump in here. It's something like there are two ways uh, to become a famous engineer. Here. You, know, you might know that. So it's one is by declaration. So somebody comes on your desk and says, hey, you are the expert for that and that. So please give me an advice or some, some hint here. And then you suddenly, some minutes before, you have not even considered to name yourself as an expert on a particular um, issue. But suddenly you are the one who is wanted and the one who is uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, on demand for all the other ones. So, And there is the other approach to say you only can become famous and an expert if you have 10,000 hours of experience. 10,000 hours? Mm, that means something like five to eight years of intensive work every day for that one topic. So it might be a quite challenging, challenging situation. On the other, other side, you can be assured after 10,000 hours you definitely know something. So somewhere in between of this declaration approach and the 10,000 hours, there is this kind of getting a senior engineer, getting a famous engineer for these kind of issues. I think it's something that heavily depends on your individuality. So the way how you are, how, how your intention is based on and your motivation, of course. And this makes also, yeah, it, it, it makes it also necessary for you, uh, for your special way how to approach the tasks you were confronted with. Over the years, I saw and I experienced by myself a lot of different approaches to become famous. Um, really, not all of them were successful. But finally, I extracted at least five basics to make your approach really successful. Let's first rephrase the, the heading a little bit and say, why does it seem that complicated to achieve the right knowledge to become a famous embedded engineer? You know, you know, engineering is most likely also depending on knowledge. If you are astonished about that statement, maybe you should go back to square one. I don't know, so something like that. So I think in embedded systems, the main difference you face is regularly the difference to regular computer systems. So regular computer systems, I would announce that um, either the, the regular PCs you have or also mainframe systems, if we are still existing, all these mid-size systems, cloud systems, all that stuff, that's regular computer systems in, that, um, in, in this situation or in this environment. And embedded systems are pretty much different. Um, if we have a look at the definition of embedded systems, let, I just take one of them and I quote it here. It's 
Embedded systems are limited standalone computing devices, usually dedicated to perform limited computing functions reliably, securely, and with minimum upkeep costs. Wow, that's <laughs> that's a definition. It's it's not by myself. So, and uh, but if it if I take the two main aspects out of that, it's something like an embedded system consists of hardware and software. So it's not only the software alone. If you are studying studying information technology, you are very often only confronted with the software uh, part, but it's both hardware and software. So, and both are um, impacting the embedded system by their complexity. So, I, I mean, uh, if you have a hardware and a software which must work together, then it becomes, yeah, it, it gets some challenge uh, belonging to complexity. And it's also complicated. So, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to understand very often, yeah? Complexity is something that belongs to the time and the, and the race conditions and things like that, which makes things sometimes a little bit unpredictable. And on the other side, also the complicatedness, how the system itself is designed and to understand it, at least from a very static position. I think the most challenging problem for this to become a good and um, at least also famous embedded engineer is that there is no dedicated education or training. At least I have not. I have not seen it. Maybe there is some outside of my of my scope. There are, but I was never aware of. You you simply jump into it. Or, as one of my buddies told me one time, as as we discussed about this kind of uh, of, of of situation, he told me the newcomers simply enter a company and very they learn something, but we don't know whether whether it it is the right thing. So it's more or less a try and error in the profession itself, on the job. So training on the job becomes a completely different way of thinking about that. So it seems to be there are real problems to achieve sufficient knowledge. So something like how does an embedded system behave different from the systems you learn in regular education? What are the main differences? So I think there is one, uh, at, at, at least there are several things So that's what regularly learned what the guys regularly learn at the at the studies or at their studies is things like um we have what the, the mindset is something like we have an endless minds an endless infinite resource so hardware and software are somehow endless so it's that's particular especially for for this kind of uh, cloud computing computing systems which are mean meanwhile more mainstream than when years before and here it is if you have a loss or if you have a significant um a gap in in resources yeah you simply buy one of them or you 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 rent it you rent an additional server and boop you get it yeah mysql database too slow put it on an, on another server uh, no problem so it's always somehow endless the resources seems to be infinite and even more interesting is that I I really don't know whether the the, the finalists of the of the studies uh, or of, of of information technology studies have real education in assembly languages things like that. So if if they understand the bare metal which is on the side, and what I observe is that the guys are very often rather good in highly abstract languages. We have a lot of details about object-oriented and abstract other other, other abstractions in, in languages. 
So, but this is something what regularly is learned uh, and educated. On the other side, in the industry, especially embedded systems, you need a different type of engineer. You suddenly need someone who is able to think in small systems. And I mean small systems like um, the function should be possible with limited resources. So you have to realize within a particular um, set of resources. There is no additional hardware, there is no additional CPU, no additional core, no additional RAM, no additional frequency, no additional what whatsoever. Yeah? So, and the question is then, uh, how well is the are the functions or the, the the requirements really realized? And after that, if that is done, are we still maintainable? I mean, if you have a hard pacemaker, um, it's not that maintainable, isn't it? Uh, so I, I mean, you cannot simply plug in somehow. There is no internet connection, and regularly, as far as I know, we don't have a Wi-Fi connection inside. Or also your car systems inside, or your uh, your, your Wi-Fi router, or things like that. Or maybe in a few years, your your refrigerator. It's it's intrinsic. It's embedded. So and someone must have designed that, and someone must have thought this kind of uh, of devices. So thinking in small systems means mainly thinking in limitations. I mean, I have already numbered that. It's something like the capacity for processing things, uh, storage things or storing things and therefore the storage or energy. Uh, so it, you cannot consume power as much as you want. There is might be an accumulator or battery. That's, that's all. That's definitely all. And you might also have some, meanwhile, very, uh, very urgent or very yeah, requested is responsive. I don't mean this responsive design from uh, from a website, but I mean, um, are, are the applications responsive enough? If you press a button, you want to have a response within a limited time. There is no longer something like that, uh, that a response time of two or three seconds is accepted. If you're standing in front of a door and you are, Clicking on the key for um, so you ha you have um, a key lock here, and you enter the key. Then you don't want to wait ten seconds until the systems is prepared and booted up and things like that. You want to go. You want to be granted entry, and also reliability is a is a great issue here. So how reliable are embedded systems, especially if we are in quite yeah security relevant or also in uh, in um, health care um, environments that reliability would be everything and on the other side also the integrity um, these these embedded systems as closed we are uh, sometimes we are open like hell so it's okay good i don't know whether the hell is open but things like that yeah so it's might might be a problem here and also the handling must be must be sufficient it must be smart and approved and and cozy things like that everything you like and Moreover, the engineer who's designing embedded systems must be also have some kind of cross-functional thinking. As the, as the requirements are belonging to hardware and software, the software engineers should be able to discuss with hardware engineers and vice versa. But I don't mean only discuss with, but also understand, take over the position, see their perspective, see their limitations, understand them finally. Yeah? And that also means to have electrotechnicians inside or systems engineers, mechanics, medicines, experts from all areas. 
So cross-functional cross thing, uh, thinking is essential for embedded systems engineers. I very often see um, some kind of nerd sitting sitting in their in their whole corner here and and doing nothing else. Only they're hacking here for embedded systems. That might be fine, but must not be. So it it could fail horribly. And therefore, uh, I think it's absolutely essential to to achieve this kind of cross-functional thinking. Uh, so you understand it's more or less uh, belonging to you. So I, I mean. If you change your mind or your behavior or your thinking and try something new, you might be on a good approach, on a good way to become a good or at least famous engineer for that. And therefore, my five steps to achieve that, my five smart principles, which will help you to become a first-class embedded engineer. Um, first, it's the limits. So for me, is embedded engineering is limit. So limits, limits, limits. You must become aware of your system limitations. So you might remember there was sometime an experiment with automotive engineers. We were pushed or uh, poked into some special suits in which we have the feeling and the behavior of quite old persons. And then we have to do the regular operations you do if you drive a car. And then they get aware of, oh, holy shit, that's really complicated. If you are no longer possible to uh, to uh, to uh, look onto the other side because your neck is stiff or something like that. And you need to understand the overall architecture. And you also need to understand the the use cases. At least you should be aware of that. What's going on there? So this is also, but this is this is something general, of course. Yeah. So it's uh, uh, also the website designer must be aware of the use cases. On the other side, um, the embedded engineer has to take into account the limitations here. And last weekend, I was in um, at the bar camp at uh, Lake of Constance here, and I met one of the sessions here, and I was in discussion or in yeah, I was in discussion with an iOS and Android application developer. And he told me he was coming from a high level, so high level applications and cloud systems and things like that. And uh, he admitted that he started now first, he began to understand the difference of the systems. But embedded is something different. It's no longer cloud programming. So it has changed something inside of him, uh, of, of his thinking, the limitations, being aware of that. The next one, the second one, for me, it's the KISS principle. KISS principle as keep it simple, stupid. The KISS principle, um, a common problem among software engineers and developers today is that we tend to overcomplicate problems. Typically, when a developer is faced with a problem, it's broken down into smaller pieces to understand them and when it is tried to implement the solution in the code or as code. I would say 8 or 9 out of 10 developers then make the mistake that they don't break down the problem into small enough or understandable enough pieces. This results in very complex implementations of even the most simple problems. Another side effect is spaghetti code, you know that. Something we taught only we thought only basic, you might know that, a very old programming language, beginners all-purpose symbolic instruction code, abbreviated basic. We always thought spaghetti code is only only visible, only possible with basic go-to statements. But it's also possible in Java uh, with results that classes have 
500 to 1,000 lines of code. Methods that, that each have several hundreds of lines. This code clutter is a result of the developer realizing exception cases to his original solution while he is typing in the code. These exception cases would have solved if the developer had broken down the problem further. So if I make the KISS principle a little bit more pragmatic, it's something like break every task down into subtasks. So it's something like that you have for every subtask a maximum of 4 to 12 hours to realize it, so including testing. So when you have, you have an impression, so half a day to one and a half day, when it should be finished with all side aspects, when the problem should be break down, each problem into one or very few classes and functions. You have to break down the problems as deep as needed to achieve that. So please provide small methods. And small, I mean something like 30 to 40 lines. So only one use case solved should be solved in one method, not, not, not many. So then if someone like me who is not, has not written the code is reading this stuff and, it, and one method goes over several pages and I have several hundred of lines of method code inside, I, I, it's completely impossible to understand at a glance. But this should be needed. This is something you assure the asset of your employer at that moment. And if you are self-employed, then you assure the asset of yourself. Because if there might be the situation that somebody else has to maintain that code or something like that, then, then it's needed that it's available or even possible to understand. And if, you're not, if you are smart enough to break down the code on the fly or the, the problems on the fly, then do it. Yeah? But refactor on all means over and over again. You have to look at that and all. don't don't be shy. Yeah. So don't be afraid to throw away code if it's no longer needed. Then throw away. How often do I have seen code where lots of commented out code, lots of if and if and all that stuff, and you really don't understand where is the big point, where is the, where is the rat the rat string to go through the code? It's it's simply. Um, it's simply, yeah, it's it's boosted, uh, it's it's bloated with with unnecessary stuff inside. So that means you should solve the problem before coding and not vice vice versa. It's only I have one time seen a guy who has written a compiler that was former time in Pascal, and he has simply top down written that compiler. It was marvelous to see that guy. But as I have discussed with him, he told me that everything is in his head. He has not written down something. But the whole structure, how the things have to be done and how the structure is designed was in his head. So um, following these device, uh, following these devices leads to minimal code. I mean, for, uh, for, for these code scenarios, it's fine. But for all other scenarios, keep it as simple as possible. So I think that's the hardest pattern and it needs time. So action for you, check today where you can be more simplistic in your work. Principle number three, thinking out of the box or change your perspectives. The only perspective you will be informed about if the system is in use is the perspective of the tester, not yours. Keep that in mind. So I mean, if you do your work, then look on your work from the customer's perspective. Look on your work from the tester's perspective. 
What are they observing? What is the result of your code? They don't know anything about the algorithm. They don't know anything about your code inside. They don't know anything about the problems you have to overcome. They only see the input and they see the output. And this is exactly what you should consider. This should be your main perspective. And also for if you want to be assured how your system runs, always keep in mind this kind of perspective. This is essential here. How very often I have seen code uh, which is, which is um, per default instrumentalized, instrumented for uh, for debugging reason or for logging reasons, and the only thing you inside see is things like uh, the algorithm has done like that or increased that or things like yeah things like that are described in the logging. So things that which are available and understandable only for you as a developer if you have the algorithm in mind. But be honest, do you always remember all algorithms and all code you have written during the years? Me not. To, to be honest, I seldomly uh, understand that. Yeah? Or I, I, I remember it. But what I, have, what I have done is, since years, what I have always considered at that moment, when if I have written the code and I say, If I would see the reaction and the output of my code in five years, what can I do that I instantly understand what's going right and what's going wrong? And here comes the action for this principle number three. Implement one week, taking into account that you will see this code first again in five years. Change all your comments, all your outputs, all your loggings, whatever is done, That way, you understand it initially after five years. Let's come to principle number four. Uh, very often in embedded systems, um, the guys doing the development are not even or not even longer um, see or experience the real stuff. I mean, the real metal, the system itself, the bare PCB, whatsoever. So the embedded system itself. Very often, the guys are only working with simulators. But simulators are only simulators. So that means we are not the real stuff. And we might have glitches. We might have faults. We might, we might be more courageous. We might be more, yeah, whatsoever. So it's simply not the real thing. And that might, yeah, that might put you in a wrong safety. It's not necessary or it will be not possible to be assured that a thing which is running or a system which is running by simulating is also running on the, on the real system. From my perspective, parallel development of hardware and software is an illusion. I was in several projects where the start of the development of hardware and software was mainly at the same time. So that means uh, the software have, had to be realized using simulators and after that there was something like some kind of marriage between pre-versions of the hardware with the software and in every project which have had this approach i saw unbelievable crashes unbelievable clashes and tons of effort which was wasted because the simulators were not matching and if you imagine that a simulator is also uh, must simulate something which might be even not available. The simulator is also 
realized by using the same specifications as the hardware. So that means the simulator uh, could be realized with a different aspect on the specification. Interpretation might be different or even um, understanding might be different. And therefore you have a different behavior of the, of the simulator. That means all the time you have um, saved uh, by using a parallel development is afterwards or has afterwards to be spent to harmonize the, the, the crappy stuff. So from my perspective, the action number four for this principle is if you have not tested on the real stuff, prepare for tomorrow to get a first run. So let's come to the last and fifth principle to become a famous engineer. I have seen famous engineers regularly as guys who has had very often open eyes, open ears, and sometimes their mouth. So I mean is, what we have done is, we have tried to look over the fences. I mean, these guys have always be aware of what are the main trends in the IT industry at that moment. We simply get aware of that. We are not simply saying something like, ah, yes, I am a coder for uh, Java or I am the security pen testing hacker or I have done this course, blah, blah, and now I'm doing that one. No, we were always in touch of the ongoing stuff. We know what industry 4.0 means. We are aware of Internet of Things. We are aware of the new standards of Wi-Fi. We are aware of what kind of transport protocols and transport mechanisms are used in cars. We are aware of newest developments in, in languages, in, in programming languages. I mean, we are not engaged in that way that we are pushing this stuff or that we are completely understanding, but we are hearing, we are listening, what's going on. We get a feeling about what's going on. And you remember Moore's Law, for example, that, um, what was that? It was something like doubling of the number of transistors every two years. This was only an observation and a projection, that's, which is you no know, law. It was finally named like that. But this was only done by someone, by, the, by an engineer um, uh, who has observed that. So he, only by observing details, he had made this a kind of, of assumption and prediction. So the question is, if you are more focused on your particular industry, where is the industry going? Where, where, where does it tend to go? Very often I observe peace people or, or engineers who are diving deeply into the details and forget everything around. And after four or five years, we got, a, we got aware of that we're on the, on the wrong lane. Yeah, so Simply like that. So the question is also, so, for example, which other industries are progressing more than yours? Especially for getting aware of whether we are on the dead end. So there is very often this kind of, uh, uh, in, the, in the economy, it's named the pig cycle. Yeah? So always every 10 years, it tends towards in one direction and the other direction. It's mainly the same, a little bit tighter within the IT industries. And also here, embedded systems is, is going on very well, but it might be in a different part of the, of the industry. One time it might be automotive, the next time telecommunication, when medicine again, when powers and whatsoever. So every, every time it might be a different one, which is preferred or which is mainly impacted by the overall stream. That means let's come to the last and fifth action for you for this week. 
discuss with your colleagues and friends about the main trends in the embedded systems and IT overall. Let's see what will be the outcome here and what you will get um, as further knowledge for yourself and for understanding. So let's summarize that. I have told you about the, about the five principles which I have detected to become a, a first-class engine, embedded engineer. What was First was the limits. Second was the KISS principle. Third was the thinking out of the boxes and change your perspective. Third was testing on the real metal. And the fifth and last one was, yeah, looking over the fence. All right. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If so, I would very much appreciate if you would grant me a rating at iTunes or Stitcher. Moreover, any kind of honest feedbacks are welcome. We have all links, mentionings and notes under embeddedsuccess.com slash episode one. Again, embeddedsuccess.com slash episode one. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I look forward to serving you in the next week's episode. Next week, we have a deep look into how to become a successful buck hunter. See you next week. Ciao and let's crank it!